1: Want to stream cognitive dissonance to your Android or iPhone? Buy the app. Go to dissonancepod.com and click on the link on the right-hand side of the page. Each purchase helps support the show. Be advised that this show is not for children, the faint of heart, or the easily offended. The explicit tag is there for a reason.
2: So this is a bonus episode. We've got Greta Christina coming on to our show a little later. Are you going to do it? This is Cognitive Dissonance? No. Yes. Fuck. Do it. Recording live from Glory Hole Studios in Chicago, <laughs> this is Cognitive Dissonance. Every episode we blast anyone who gets in our way. We bring critical thinking, skepticism, and irreverence to any topic that makes the news, makes it big, or makes us mad. It's skeptical. It's political. And there is no welcome, Matt. This is a bonus episode! Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> this is episode one bonus. One bonus. <laughs> one bonus, please. We have to come up with a naming convention for the bonus I know, episode. we have to figure
3: this out. Yeah, yeah we're, so not, we're not sure what we're going to do yet. I like to think of this I'll- as
2: B1. It's like a B-side anyway.
3: Yeah, okay, although all the podcast is a B-side. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is the A-side. <laughs> <laughs> doubtful. Yeah. Highly I know. doubtful. I
2: know where this is headed, it ain't the A-side. Yeah, so, it clearly is not the A-side. Uh, but we're excited. We've got uh, Greta Christina on as a guest for this episode. We're looking forward to that. We've got an extended, lengthy interview with Greta Christina. Um, she wrote, uh, she's written several books. I mean, this is our second time that she's graced this lowly show with her presence. Um, so stick around for that interview. It actually turned out pretty great. Um, Before we do, we want to talk about um, an item that is all over the news but we didn't actually fetch a news source for, and that's the Michelle Obama. I held up a sign, and that's pretty much all I fucking did to solve a problem.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's great, isn't it? You're like the one person, you know, there's so – could you imagine fucking – Barack Obama, just
2: like he's not doing <laughs> he holds anything up about a sad it. Sad sign, he like
3: all of oh. a sad ass side, just be like, Those little girls aren't around, so Frowny sign, face.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sign.
3: <laughs> you know. It's funny too because of all the people who could, you know, have something to say about the girls missing, right? She could just hold a press conference or I don't know, do an interview with someone. Oh, she's got I me. Mean, Telling me she couldn't get on fucking Barbara Walters this week, you know what I mean? And just like, I have something to say. Well, we would like to put you on primetime. It's amazing that what they resort to is holding up
2: these signs. Yeah, and you know, the thing that kind of galls me about it is they're hijacking, you know, sort of that visual meme um, that went around during the Occupy movement. You know, where it was like everybody was like it was like it was like a form of of protest, you know, to say like, hey, I've been silenced. So rather than being silenced, I will hold up these signs and they'll speak for me and they'll, you know, identify me as part. And fucking Michelle Obama, how are you silenced? Fucking use your mouth and say some (laughs) words. That shit makes me crazy. The other thing, too, is it feels a lot like prayer
3: to me. You know, it's just like you're not doing anything. You're just asking for something to happen. Be proactive. There's these other signs that are going around where these guys, um, famous, I think Ashton Kutcher was one of them, Justin Timberlake was another one, and it said something like, hashtag real men don't buy women or something like that. And the first thing I thought was... Who the fuck is going to be influenced by your sign that is going to buy a woman? Know, you know what I mean? Like, like somebody's like, like <laughs> I'm in the market to buy a woman, let's say. But then I played sexy back and I, you know, what am I, am I checking the reviews? I'm checking the reviews on, on consumer reports and I just happen to come across your picture. Like, oh, why would that even sway me? And the second thing I thought is like, why don't you just give some of your amount of funds to the problem then to fix it? Because you have a lot of money. And you can do something about it instead of just holding up a sign. I know. And I'm sure that, you know, maybe they're doing something that I'm missing. Maybe, maybe somebody in the audience can be like, well, what they're really doing is bringing attention to it. Yeah, maybe. But they could bring a hell of a lot of attention to it if they donated, I don't know, $100,000 to the cause, let's say, you know, of stopping human
2: trafficking in some way. But instead, they're just holding up a sign. Man, I just think that's lame. Dude, you know, what? it's, it's that fucking slacktivism bullshit. Is what it is. It's 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 the idea that somehow raising awareness is equivalent to actually helping. And it's not. You got to raise awareness. Great, we raised awareness. Oh, man, look at that. We all fucking got out and ran a 5K about it. Don't we all feel good about ourselves? <laughs> I got a little ribbon on my car. Right. I'm doing a thing. Yeah, did you fucking donate a money? Did you put your money where your mouth is? Because that's what those groups need. If you can't offer material support in terms of like... I am doing a work, then you need to do money donation. If you're not doing money donation or a work, you're wasting time. That's totally true. And it's I mean, it's 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 more insulting that the
3: people that have means, have power, have people that, you know, I mean, there's ways in which that they can do something. And they're they're choosing to instead. I mean, literally do nothing. Like I said, when I compared it to prayer, I mean, really, that's what it is. You're not, you know, saying let our girls go, you know, clearly look the this guy, guy over in fucking Elmer Fudd or Amir Fudd or whatever is not going to look at this and be like, oh, they want the girls free? What? Oh, fucking dude,
2: get them out of there. Why Just, anybody I, I I didn't anybody tell me realize, I didn't realize <laughs> Michelle Obama wanted the girls free. You guys told me she was aboard. You guys told me yeah. we had Michelle Obama's consent. <laughs> no kidding, right? <laughs> you lied to me. <laughs> yeah. I will shoot you with a grenade. <laughs> like, <laughs> I will brandish my AK-47 at you. <laughs> you know and we're not talking about like people who don't have funds. Like if you want to raise awareness cuz you don't have means that is a different thing. Like we are talking very specifically about power players. So this next story comes from the Raw story, ex-Navy chaplain, unbiblical gun laws make California vulnerable to invasion by Japan. Yeah, that's true. True that's story. My favorite thing to read true. all week. True story. Dr. Chaps Gordon Klingenschmidt. Oh, good old Gordon. I love that every time the Raw story introduces him, they always introduce him the same way. A disgraced former Navy chaplain. <laughs> they do it no. every single time. It every and it's time. my fucking favorite thing. It's like, oh, hey, this great. guy. We're gonna introduce him to you. Don't forget, he's disgraced. All right, everyone's got that. Phenomenal. Yeah. Um,
3: <laughs> he's like super disgraced too, just so you know. Right,
2: and it always links to the same Washington Post article. Like the word "disgraced" is a hyperlink that always links to the same Washington Post article. It's awesome. Um. But anyway, I guess uh, he's decided that uh, you gotta have a lot of guns to uh, arm yourself, Cecil, against the left wing crazies. <laughs> Not just that, Tom. Here, I'm gonna read directly what Gordon um, Dr.
3: Assless Chaps King- Klingenschmidt said. And we were corrected, by the way. I guess all chaps are assless. I didn't realize that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like redundant. It's like, you know, when you say assless chaps, you're just like saying ATM machine. It's the same right, thing, actually. Right. Um, he says. Uh, he says, at least um, from without, he was talking about guns here, he's saying, the Founding Fathers gave us the Second Amendment because they recognized that people ought to be safe and secure from invasion, at least from without, he opined. I love that they he opined, opined. Um That's why Japan never invaded California, because the Californians carried guns, but not anymore. They might be vulnerable to that. At least now they're rotting from within. Now, maybe he's not saying that Japan is
2: coming over here now,
3: (laughs) but maybe he
2: is. No, the Japanese are going to come over and eat our little (laughs) Californian babies. Ah, (laughs) They're actually sending Godzilla is what they're doing. They're sending Godzilla over. They've mastered him. He's like a fucking pet. He's like an attack dog for Japan (laughs) now. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, if they had more guns, Godzilla wouldn't be able to attack. (laughs) Godzilla's like, they're like, go to California. He's like, but they all have guns. (laughs) (laughs) What could I possibly
3: do against these humans (laughs) with guns? Yeah, it's it's just like what an F16
2: would do to people with shotguns. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, and and he was he was making these comments um based on a shooting at a FedEx facility in Georgia earlier. And he's basically saying that the if the company had not uh violated biblical teachings and made the area a gun-free zone, that I I guess other people could have shot the guy who was shooting other people and that would have that would have definitely resulted in less carnage and I, I absolutely Wait. cannot stop but like scratch my head when people very serious people will tell you that like man, we got to do something about all these shootings, and I think the answer is more guns
3: <laughs> everybody says that though I mean really that is that is what people say on on when they do talk about this stuff and uh and that's the answer that many people have, and they'll point to the times that. You can see, like, your security footage of where somebody pulls a gun on somebody else, they, you know, drop the money on the ground, and then the guy pulls his gun out and shoots somebody in the face or whatever. While, yes, the person got caught, the person was doing something wrong, and there can be arguments made about, you know, if somebody holds a gun to you, then, you know, then they deserve to die, et cetera, et cetera. There could be some arguments made, some philosophical arguments there. Um, Many times when people are killed, when they do stuff... That is not a punishment that is fit for that crime, right? You know, stealing something from somebody when, you know, if if you were to get away with it and you were to be tried, they would never be like, well, let's shoot him in the face. You know, that that doesn't happen. The judge never is like, well, let me look through my big book of judgments here and see what I'm going to do. Oh, well. Oh, he stole a motorcycle. Oh, well, that's a face shoot. That never happens. You know what I mean? Like, that's not a thing that happens. So, you know, even if we were to say that guns somehow did deter, not deter crime, but at least stop crime, because clearly they're not going to deter it. Um, if they were to stop the crime, then... They would stop the crime with this sort of level of violence that you're meeting out on them that they may or may not deserve.
2: Does that make any sense? Yeah, man. Look, armed robbery is not a capital crime. But, you know, armed robbery when a vigilante meets. And don't get me wrong. Like, I do think that people should have I, I think people should have an opportunity and a right to to self-defense. I mean, if somebody is breaking into your home and you can defend yourself and you do defend yourself. Do so I think you should be, you know, tried and convicted for defending your home and family? I don't. Um, but, you you know, the, the problem is that creating and fostering a vigilante culture um, based on this false idea that everybody's a fucking sniper and that everybody is capable of confronting an armed person in a challenged situation and taking that person out without creating a tremendous amount of collateral damage or you know increasing the casualty rate it's just not true you know leave leave the fucking shooting of people in the face to the professionals that's not that's not amateur hour work that's right. not like oh well we'll just let little billy try it you know, yes, the other day exactly,
3: <laughs> right? You are like well, that's the next step, right? I mean, the NRA would be like, "Well, you know, we need armed guards in schools. Well, hell, can't we just arm the kids? Right. Can't we just, you know, put little shoulder holsters on all the kids and have them walk around like little hitmen?
2: Put grenade launchers on the guard dogs, whatever it yep. takes. <laughs> we'll put claymores on the exit doors. Actually, what they should have is guard dog launchers instead. So they just <laughs> shoot out like." A- <laughs> That's what they should have.
3: You're all sick. Oh, be nice! Oh, my son doesn't stand a chance! The whole world's gone gay! Oh my god, what's happening now? We work hard, we play hard.
2: So, Cecil, there was a, a sports doings that dun did transpired this week. There was a sports doings. Uh,
3: uh, the uh, the NFL draft was this weekend. Nobody drafted uh, me.
2: I noticed then I no, didn't get any you, phone yeah, calls.
3: Yeah, you are going to go you're going to be joining a team as an undrafted water boy. Good. So yes. you have that nailed going it.
2: For <laughs> 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 I've been a free agent
3: my whole life. Free agent. So he's, he's, the thing is, is that there was a uh, an openly gay uh, college player by the name of Michael Sam. And uh, he went to the, uh, I believe it's the St. Louis Rams, is who the he was uh, drafted by. Really?
2: And uh, wait, really? Yeah, he got drafted by the Rams. (laughs) (laughs) Tom, I'm 11 years old. That's (laughs) fucking funny. (laughs)
3: You really are something else, you know. I mean really. You're like a, you're like I mean I I wouldn't be surprised if every 10 minutes you just scream boobies for no reason. <laughs>
2: you think I can go 10 minutes? <laughs> In any case, mm-hmm. um
3: Michael Sam uh was drafted and uh and a ton of people uh this is from uh from uh the uh Atheos blogs, uh Friendly Atheist. Uh a ton of people on Twitter Um, And I mean, I use people loosely here. Uh, Could be trolls, could be just douchebags. And I clearly one of them is a douchebag because it's Brian Fisher. Uh, But there's a lot of people who just do not like uh, the idea that Michael Sam is gay and open and a football player. Uh, There's a lot of people who have a lot to say about it on Twitter. And mostly, I mean, I'm going to go negative. I'm going to say they're saying
2: negative things. Yeah, Yeah, I wouldn't say so. Um my and you know what makes me crazy about this is all the love the sinner hate the sin stuff. Like that oh, stuff. It's like, yeah, it's fucking I'm super disappointed and I fucking hate this, but you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. Like that that's that's the that's the equivalent of, but I got a black friend. Yeah, you know? no kidding, isn't it? Hey, look, yeah. I like whipping black folks, but I got a black friend. I mean I'd buy one, but I'm just saying it's that same yeah. fucking thing. <laughs> right. One of the famous douchebags here is
3: Brian Fisher, and he's like, Obama to gay football player, you should be judged by what you do. Agree. Why we call it a sin. So then he's got a link here. So clearly, Brian Fisher's saying he's he's sinning. Another person by the name of Emo—your name's Emo? Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, says, stop sinning against the Lord, Michael. You are committing a mortal sin by having— a boyfriend, and by kissing him, is it a mortal sin? Really? I don't know. I don't. I don't know.
2: The, that whole mortal it's thing is a mortal.
3: Now, a mortal sin. That's like a finisher, right? Like that's, that's where you punch yeah. their heads off, you, and like the blood shoots out. You got to harpoon their chest first. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then you say, "Get over forward. here." Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then you pull your mask off and breathe fire on them. Is that how that works? <laughs> I don't. I. You know, I, I. I never played Mortal Sin anyway. I played Mortal Sin too, so yeah, I don't. Much better.
2: Much better. Much better. Yeah, better way graphics. Hotter. I mean,
3: just a yeah. better graphics. You know the girls were dressed skimpier. It's just a wetter, well, it's just a better game. The game so, control uh,
2: in hell is just vastly superior. for Absolutely,
3: sure. this yeah. is another one. Um, it's the same guy. Now he's stopped. Uh, evidently, his caps lock is off. Now he says Michael Sam is stupid. He better pray God will forgive him. Michael doesn't know that homosexual acts are a very serious sin against God. Very serious business. It turns out. Uh, To be a homosexual.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, Michael Sam is stupid. He probably just signed a contract worth millions of dollars. (laughs) Yeah, hundreds of thousands at least. So, yeah, what a dummy. Man, what a goofball that guy is. He's celebrating (laughs) his life with someone that he loves and recently celebrated a major career milestone. What an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) This other person, Rick, Rick says... I need
3: a way to express my discomfort for gay people without sounding like a complete asshole. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, definitely not Twitter. (laughs) Yeah. Well,
2: it's like I'd avoid the Twitters. You read that and it's like, well, there's a reason there's no way for you to say bigoted hateful shit and not sound like a hateful bigot. (laughs) Like, It's like, man, if only there was some way. I could be a hateful shithead without coming off. Right. You know, like such a hateful shithead. Because <laughs> I don't like being in a Man. hateful shithead. I mean, head. it's really awkward as a hateful shithead. <laughs> <laughs>
3: this is this is pitcher bro. Pitcher bro says, "I just don't get it. Why is this sin and debaucher debauchery really allowed on national TV? How am I supposed to explain that to my kids? What the NFL draft? That's going to take a long time.
2: Yeah, who wait, who watches?" The NFL draft with young kids—that's
3: can you it was imagine boring day ever? Oh my For God. a child,
2: yeah. Well, you see, he he did really great in the combine, son. So yeah. we're gonna have to say, <laughs> you know, his his hundred yard dash was really pretty spectacular. <laughs> yeah. But we we felt like he could have done. Are you fucking kidding me? That kid would be so fucking bored. I was bored saying those words. Yeah,
3: <laughs> you know what's awesome? I just as a side note on the draft. I uh, I checked who we drafted in Chicago, and there's video that you can watch at the Combine. So I clicked on one of the guys, because they didn't have any video of his college career. And I click and I start watching, and it's amazing um, the... Parallels between the draft and what they make those guys do, and like coursing a hound through the a kennel club, like <laughs> dog show. Because the guy's got his base, his, his football down on the ground, and he's like, and he tells the guy to run, and the guy starts running backwards. And when the guy moves the football to the left, he doesn't throw it; he just moves it to the left. The guy runs to the left, and he moves it to the right, and the guy runs to the right. It was just like it looks like. I mean, it totally looks like you've got a beagle out there chasing a like a a rabbit, or it's ridiculous the most ridiculous thing
2: in the world if they catch it they're it like drop it drop, drop it, it? <laughs> <laughs> they like have to wipe the slobber off of it He's
3: give me the con give me the impactful. Kong.
2: yeah what they don't tell you is they actually they actually rub the football with peanut butter before they start right, the, yeah right yeah well that's a classic way to do it <laughs> those guys operate on scent <laughs> So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back uh, with our interview with Greta Christina. Stick around because she does most of the talking. So the show's actually palatable.
1: If you would like to contact the show, visit the website dissonancepod.com for the links to the Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus and email accounts. You can also call and leave a message at 740-74-DOUBT. That's 740-743-6828. Did you know that you can become a patron of the show? Go to patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com com forward slash dissonance pod. And you can donate to the production of Cognitive Dissonance on a per episode basis. If you don't want to donate money, please take a moment to give us a good review on iTunes or Stitcher. Or tell a like-minded friend about the show. So to everyone who supports the show, Glory Hole, you fucking rock.
3: So we're here with Greta Christina. She's an author and a blogger. Her blog is called Greta Christina's Blog. Uh, it's on Free Thought Blogs. She, her most recent book is called Coming Out Atheist, How to Do It, How to Help Each Other and Why. It's available on Amazon and it's also available as an audio book on, uh, on Audible and iTunes. Uh, Greta, you do a lot of stuff. Uh, if our audience doesn't know who you are, could you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Uh, well, I'm Greta Christina. Uh, I uh, writer, blogger, public speaker. Uh, like you said, I wrote "Coming Out Atheist: How to Do It, How to Help Each Other, and Why." That's my new book, and it's ebook, print, audio book, all the formats. Uh, I also wrote "Why Are You Atheists So Angry?" Ninety Nine Things That Piss Off the Godless. Uh, I'm author of a porn book. That's the only way I can put it. Erotic fiction, <laughs> I think, is the polite term uh, called "Bending Dirty Kinky Stories About." pain, power, religion, unicorns, and more. Mm-hmm. And most, more recently, I've been co-organizing and co-hosting this thing in San Francisco called The Godless Perverts, <laughs> which is a performance series mostly in San Francisco and sometimes at conferences and also a social community that's organized around atheism and sexuality, you know, exploring atheist views of sexuality and our views of sex and religion and sex and science and sex and skepticism and all that. So, uh, and I do a lot of public speaking and I try to find time in there to have a life, but I'm not so (laughs) successful Godless
3: perverts. Those are like my two favorite things, it turns out. Godless and perverts. That's awesome. Where's the downside
0: there?
2: There's no
3: downside on the godless
2: perverts.
0: (laughs) I know, right? (laughs)
3: So, I you know, before we get into the book, because I'm one of those guys who judges every book by its cover, you got to tell us about the covers of your book, because the last two covers have been pretty consistent. They're awesome. They look great. How do you uh, How do you decide to do the cover? Do you have an artist that does this for you?
0: I do have an artist. I will plug in happily. His name is Kazimir Fornalsky, and uh, I first. And we have met, we'd met, I don't even remember when, a while ago, uh, just our paths just crossed. But I did a contest on my blog when I was writing Why Are You atheists So Angry? And it turns out that's actually kind of a no-no. I would recommend against doing that because it turns out there's this thing in the graphic design community where people do contests and it's, you know, a oh, way of yeah. getting free or cheap work. but So mm-hmm. I wouldn't do that again. But oh, man. Uh, I did this contest and I had a lot of really good entries and then Casimirs came in I was like, uh, you know, just like okay, this is clearly the one, and not only do I want him to design to to use this design for this book, why are you atheist so angry? I want him to design the cover for every book I ever write, <laughs> and and so yeah. Ever since then, we've just been working together. He did, he's done the cover for all my other books, and yes, absolutely, uh, he's a really. If anybody's out there is looking for a graphic designer, uh, you know, he's just really good at getting that. I don't know how to describe it. It's like that blend of it's like impact and, you know, it's very strong and, you know, very powerful, but also kind of funny, you know, and kind of joyful and welcoming. So anyway, I could gas on about him all day. But
3: it reminded me of like, a don't know, sort of a humorous propaganda poster in a way. Yeah, I got (laughs) got the
2: same thing, like like a like an old school, like almost like Eastern European propaganda thing. But it's kind of got like a wink at the camera, sort of a whimsical nod. You know, it's. Mm They're fun. I think they're fun. Covers, I love that so.
0: Russian social social realism, but funny.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so
3: again, another question before we get into the book here. I want to mention that you know w- before in the past we had had David Silverman on the show, and he had said that he thinks there's a lot more atheists out there than are than are actually saying they're atheists. There's a lot more people out there, and that's why he puts these billboards up all over and, and talks and, and, and does this sort of outreach to try to reach this group. Clearly, you must think the same thing writing a book like this.
0: Absolutely. I'm convinced of it. And one of the reasons why I'm convinced of that is when I was researching this book, you know, I read over 400 coming out atheist stories. I've collected them on my own blog. I've put out the word to pretty much every atheist I knew saying, spread the word. I'm doing this thing. Uh, I read coming out stories on other websites and books and so on. And there's a couple of themes that came up over and over again. And one of them is people come out as non believers, and all of a sudden, every other non believer in their life comes out of the woodwork it's (laughs) people they had no idea were non-believers because they'd been keeping it quiet too you know people are like it turns out my dad's an atheist it turns out my brother's an atheist it turns out all these people in my class other people i work with Uh, and it works the other way too where people feel emboldened to to come out because they've met somebody else who's an out non-believer and when you read that and then also when you read all these narratives of people saying I've been keeping this quiet for a very long time. I didn't tell my friends. I didn't tell my family. And then for some reason, they decided I really have to tell. Well, think about all the people who are having that exact same thought process, but they haven't come out yet. Um, So, yes, I do think that there are a lot of people who are secret non-believers and aren't telling anybody. And I also strongly suspect that there's a lot of people who are on the fence, people who are having questions, people who are having doubts. But they're afraid to tell anybody, you know, partly just because they're afraid themselves of, you know, what happens if it turns out that I investigate this question and there really is no God and that I have to completely rethink my life. And also, (laughs) what happens if I decide there really is no God and then I have to start telling people and, you know, I might have problems with my family, I might have problems with my community. So there's people who are already nonbelievers who aren't coming out And then I think, again, there's people who are on the fence, who are scared to even really ask the question.
2: You know, there seems to me to there's a shit ton of 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 sort of soft atheists out there, you know, the ones that um, I think of my dad, actually, my dad, I, I strongly suspect no longer believes, but he'll never say anything about it. He'll never. And I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know what the level of discomfort is, you know, even though we're not like we've never been a religious family. And I I think books like like coming out atheist how to do it an actual guide um you know i think this is sort of the the, you know the book that people would almost be more comfortable reading your porn book in public rather than (laughs) reading this book you know for some folks you know like they'll have out you know like the fucking swank magazine or whatever before they'll have out coming out atheist at the uh you know, while eating their lunch outside in the
0: courtyard. (laughs) You might be right. I mean, I see people reading Fifty Shades of Grey at airports, you know, totally out in public. (laughs) Uh, So you you might be right about that. My hope and part of my hope with writing this book is that that becomes less true. I mean, it's one of the things that we found, even just with the degree of people coming out that we have now, is that, when we come out, it doesn't just make it easier for other non-believers to come out. It kind of makes atheism seem more ordinary. It reduces some of the stigma against us. It's one of the main reasons, I think, to do it, is that it makes it, you know, it's sort of this thing where it's hard to come out now, but coming out is what's going to make it easier, right? It's going to make it easier for ourselves, and it's going to make it easier for other people, because that's What's going to reduce the stigma? We certainly found that in the LGBT community. It's something we've known for decades, that as difficult as coming out can be, it's much easier now than it was 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's because people have been coming out, and that's made it easier. It's reduced the stigma against it. It's let people know that we're, that we're good people and so on. So, And I think you're right. You're talking about your dad. I think that there are a lot of people who – they're almost afraid of the word atheist. You know, they're they're willing to say oh I'm not religious they're willing to say you know I'm having questions I'm having doubts but they're a little afraid of that word and I honestly don't care that much what word people use right right but I do I do want people to be more clear I, I think that sometimes people are kind of vague and I think that that's not super helpful to us as a community but it's also and this is again a theme that it came up a lot in my research. When people are vague about, they say, oh, I'm not religious or I'm having doubts or whatever. Then when it's really important, then when there's a wedding, a funeral, an illness in the family, some reason why religion is important. You know, there's a story in the book of this woman who thought she had come out to her mom. She'd said, I think she'd even said, I don't believe in God. And her mom said, fine. And she was like, oh, that went better than I thought. And then a few months later, she's talking about her wedding. And she's saying, "Well, of course, it's going to be an atheist wedding." And there's like these tumbleweeds and crickets in the middle <laughs> of the line. And her mom says, "What do you mean?" She says, "Well, I'm an atheist, so we're not. We're going to have an atheist wedding. There's not going to be a, a preacher or prayers." And her mother's like, well, "What do you mean you're an atheist?" <laughs> and she said, "I told you, I didn't believe in God." And she's like, "Well, I didn't know you were an atheist." <laughs> and so it was kind of this little crisis. And that story turned out okay, but. Eventually, but it is this thing where when we're not clear about what we are and what we think, then that can lead to that sort of problem when it really is when the issue is really important.
3: Now you had uh, you had said you just told a story and you said that you read over four hundred stories of people coming out uh, that you had collected. Uh, What was the collection process like for you? Uh, You know, you're reading a lot of these. Did any of these stories surprise you?
0: A lot of the stories surprised me. I mean, individual stories surprised me, and then these themes came up as I was reading them that surprised me. I actually kind of had this whole narrative in my head about you know how I was going to write this book that I had completely abandoned wow. uh, once I started actually doing the research. And there were a couple of things. One is that the stories are hugely diverse. They're all over the map. And I'd kind of originally imagined it as like this very straightforward, do A, do B, do C, you know, like the directions on Uh your phone. (laughs) You know, it's like turn left and then go straight for 10 miles and then tell your grandmother and, you know, then (laughs) turn left on Main Street. And I realized it can't be that because there's no one right way to do this. There's all these different ways to do it, depending on your circumstances and your personality and your family and, and, you know, that kind of thing. And... So I kind of had to reimagine it. Instead of a set of directions, I think of it now as a map of the territory. I'm saying here's a bunch of things that could come up. Here's a bunch of things other people have done, things they think they did right, things they think they did wrong. Here are your choices. Here's how to, some help in how to make it. So that was one thing that surprised me was just how varied the stories were. Uh-huh. Another thing that really surprised me, and this is a very happy surprise, is how often the stories turn out well. And I was really expecting to read just story after story of this tragedy and heartbreak and people who aren't speaking to their families and people who lost their jobs. And I did read some of those stories. and I'm not going to deny that for a minute. There are some very heartbreaking stories in this book. But I was surprised at that they were kind of the exception. And most people who have come out as non-believers now say that they're happier. They say that they feel better. And they say that many of them said, this is actually fine with my family. This is now fine with my friends at work. You know, it's, and that can be various (laughs) degrees of fine. You know, sometimes it's, well, yeah, it's kind of awkward, but we still get along and, you know, we still love each other. And sometimes it's like, it's completely awesome. It's not a problem at all. People who thought it was going to be a huge crisis, it turned out to be either no crisis or, yeah, it was kind of a crisis, but we got over it. And... And now even the people who had a very hard time with it still say that they think it was the right decision. In fact, literally of all the stories I read, one person said they regretted having come out. They think it was the wrong decision. So there were were a lot of people who had a very hard time, but even they think that it was the right decision. And there are a lot of people who had much less of a hard time than they thought they were going to. And that really surprised me. I wasn't expecting that at all.
2: You know, one thing that I thought about while I was reading this book is how much, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, how much of, does this book fill a generational need? Um, So what I mean by that, I guess, is um, I think for people who, I'm in my my mid-30s, I think for people who are uh, younger than myself, my age and and younger, um, you know, being an atheist is pretty common, um, or at least much more common than in, say, my dad's age group, you know, the 60s and uh, 70s. Um, how much does a book like this, do you think, fill a generational need, a, a generational gap? And how much do you think a book like this is going to be needed um, in in 15 years or 25 years?
0: Well, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, I do think that this is an important question for people of all ages. And certainly when I was collecting stories i've got stories from a lot of students a lot of young people you know people in high school people in college and so on and now i do think you're right that for the most part for people who are 25 and under among their peers it's easier to come out as an atheist although certainly not easy you know it's like there are certainly people who are going to religious schools or they live in religious communities and so on and and it can still be difficult but uh you know, but, you know, so to some extent, you know, people 25 and under, it's probably going to be a little bit less of an issue among peers than among, you know, than for older people. If for no other reason, they're just more atheist. You know, it's like you look at all those polls, it's yeah. rates of nonbelief are skyrocketing uh-huh. people 25 and under. But for people who are younger, it still can be an issue with family. You know, you can be a non-believer, and your peers can all be nonbelievers or not give a shit. But if your family are still very religious, then it can still be a hard time. If your neighbors are still very religious, if, if you're uh, going to take a job at a place where your, your boss and your coworkers are very religious, it, might st- it, it still can be an issue. And certainly I got a lot of uh, stories from young people talking about issues they had. So I, I, I do think that there is certainly at this moment a, a need for this across generation. I mean, certainly my hope is that eventually this book will become obsolete. That that would be awesome. I'm a little pessimistic as whether that's going to be 10 or 15 years. You know, it's, it's I mean, think about, again, the LGBT community. Yeah. You know, we've been writing coming out guides since forever, late 60s, early 70s, probably, possibly earlier than that, And but certainly a lot of them, because that was when we really started pushing coming out as a way to make our own lives better and a way to make ourselves into a community and a political force and we still have to do it you know it's still hard you know it's like it's 2014 and we still have to have websites talking about here's how to come out to your family here's how to come out to at school uh so it's you know it's better now than it was but you know i'm a little pessimistic as to whether it's going to be unnecessary in 10 or 15 years maybe in 50 or 100 I, i don't know
3: well, maybe in 50 or 100, they'll look back on it like we look back on the Y2K books that came out, yeah, you know, right? <laughs> just like, well, that, you really had to do that. You had to yeah. come out as an atheist. Like, I hope that that's a case eventually. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, I do think we actually have an advantage. We have an interesting advantage over the LGBT community, which is that we, we you know, I know that in the atheist community, we parallel ourselves a lot. We model ourselves on the LGBT community, the LGBT movement. We absolutely should. There's a lot of parallels and there's a lot that we can learn. But there's some important differences, and one of the differences is that rates of being gay are not going up. About the same <laughs> right. number of people are LGBT right. as always right. were, but rates of non-belief are going up, and yeah. in fact, part of the reason for that is more people coming out. Coming out doesn't just, as an atheist, it doesn't just encourage people who are already nonbelievers to come out of the closet, it encourages people to rethink religion, and so we have kind of an advantage there, which is that we're actually are increasing our numbers and that that's not the case for LGBT people. So, so that's, now we also, I think they'll have a disadvantage and this is something I write about a lot in the book. And that's that coming out LGBT, you're not implying that straight people are wrong to be straight, <laughs> but, but, but there's no way to say, I don't believe in God without implying if you do believe in God, you're wrong. And I think that that does make relationships between atheists and non-believers, I think that there's always going to be a little, little bit of a tension there that isn't necessarily there in relationships between uh, LGBT, excuse me, LGBT people and straight people. So that's a little bit of a disadvantage that we have. So I, it, but I do think that the growing numbers are a huge advantage.
2: Oh, sure. And it's also the case that you can't sit down and have a cup of coffee and, you know, convince somebody to be gay. I know, unlike, <laughs> you know, unlike <laughs> unlike what what a lot of the, the right wing nutjobs would have you believe, there is no magic formula that's going to sit down and be like, ah, oh, you know, you've got a good point. I think I'm going to be gay now, like no. as opposed <laughs> to atheism. You know,
3: it's like Peter Bogation's book, A Manual for Creating Atheists. There'd be like a manual for creating gays. That's right. not a thing. Yeah, that's it's just not, not, something, not something that, that could exist.
2: Right. Like, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. No, of course not. And that, that's kind of an important difference is, you know, being LGBT, it's something that's, Subjectively true about yourself, and probably people are, to at least to some extent, born that way. I mean, it's more complicated than that, but but yeah, atheism—it's an opinion about the world, and so yeah, it's we can don't doesn't usually happen over the course of one right conversation, (laughs) but yeah, you can convince people of it. So that's that's a big difference.
3: You talk about a lot of different ways in which to uh, to come out as an atheist. And one of the ways, and you know, you collected a lot of stories. So what the hell tell my story, right? Uh, You know, you talk about the no big deal method, and that really worked for me at work. Uh, Can you tell our audience about the no no big deal method? Sure. So
0: there's a lot of different ways to talk with people about being a non-believer, And, you know, there's the sitting them down and saying, I have something very important to tell you, you know, and uh, I do not not believe in God. And, you know, you time it and you make sure that it's at a good time. And that can really work for people that you're close to who you think you're going to have a hard time with it. You know, your fundamentalist mother. But it can also be very powerful instead of coming out and having the big conversation to just be out To just mention your atheism when it comes up. Somebody says, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to this atheist conference. What are you reading? I'm reading this book about atheism. To just, you know, when somebody says, what do you think about X political issue? Well, as an atheist, you know, I think that church and state, state separation is important, blah, blah, blah. So, and that can be very powerful. For one thing, it makes atheism seem ordinary. You know, it makes it not, you know, if we don't treat it like a big deal, then that kind of puts the expectation out on the rest of the world to not treat it as a big deal. And it it, I don't like to use the word normalizing because that kind of implies that normal equals good. Uh, But it makes it ordinary. It makes it just, you know, and and I think that that can be very powerful. And it's, you know, the downside of that is if somebody does blow a gasket, then you might not be ready for it. You know, if you just sort of mention offhand in the car on your way to the movies that you're an atheist and the person who's driving bursts into tears and you suddenly have <laughs> no. to pull over, they have to pull over the car so you can have this conversation. So it kind of depends on context and it depends on who you're talking with. You know, if, and again, I do tend to counsel if it's somebody who's. really important to you and you do think they're going to have a hard time, you choose the time carefully, choose the space carefully, do it at a time when they're going to have time and space to to process. But yeah, just being out, it it can be very, very powerful.
3: Yeah. I think it works great with like casual acquaintances, people that you're not, you don't really have to have a talk with that, you know, you really, I guess you kind of don't care what their reaction would be. It's a wonderful method.
0: Exactly. I'm kind of curious. So how does that work
3: for you? You know, it worked. It worked great. What I what I did was I work for um, I work for a, a religious university. So my department is a pretty religious department. And it just so happened that something came up because religion is constantly brought up. So I just mentioned that I was an atheist. And people now I'm kind of like an oddity they're like oh you're like an you're like an atheist but you're like a good atheist how does that work and then I get a chance <laughs> to explain humanism to them so it's it's actually very adva- advantageous
0: that's a big part of what makes coming out so powerful is it gives you this opportunity if you want to to do atheism 101 education and to be an example of how atheists can be good people and, again, that's what changes people's minds about us. And, again, you can ha- do that in the, I'm sitting you down, and we're having this conversation, we're going to have a five-hour conversation about humanism. Yeah. Or it can just be by example. You know, you're just a good person. You get your work done on time. You keep your promises. You obviously, you care about people. You're doing work in the community. And, and you treat people with decency and respect. You know, whether it's like, again, you're sitting them down to have the big conversation about it or just being this example. Yeah. It, it does... You know, it it, it it changes people's minds, and that's really powerful. See,
2: I like the skydiving method, so I just get him up on the plane, and then right before we're by, by the way, I'm an atheist, <laughs> then you just jump out. It really cuts the conversation nice and short, you know? It's... <laughs> It's expensive as hell, though. I mean, it really costs yeah. a fortune to get them all up there. I
0: was going to say, you do that everything time. <laughs> yeah, it's exhausting.
2: You know, it's you also hard to find a parachute too. that'll hold me. Let's be honest yeah. about that. That's very true, Tom. That's
0: very true.
3: <laughs> we, uh, now, okay, so we talked about, you know, certainly coming out. It's, it's, it's all these benefits. But there are some, uh, some times that it's really not a good reason to come out. What are some of those ways, you know, ways in which you caution people maybe you shouldn't come out?
0: Sure. Um, again, I will emphasize very rarely in this book do I say this is the right thing to do, this is the wrong thing to do. There's very few absolutes in this, so I do encourage people to trust their own instincts uh, and, and to understand there's lots of different ways to do that. Uh, there are a handful of you know guides that I give uh, that are not absolute, but you know, seem to apply to most people. And one of those is if you really think that it's going to be that's going to screw up your life. If you're a student and you're dependent on your parents, you know, you're living at home, they're paying your tuition, you know, one of those things, and you think that they might actually cut you off, which has happened, then it might be a good idea to wait. Wait until you're out of school. Wait until you're out of the house. Wait until you're not dependent on them anymore. Uh, Same thing at work. If you're at a workplace and you really think that you might lose your job, you think that you might not get a promotion, that you're expected, that it could cause real hardship at work. It's not a bad idea to wait until either you can get another job, or at least you have like a backup plan. You know, you've got your resume in order, you're put out feelers, you've got maybe a couple months' salary if you can put that together saved up. So, so that's one of the times when I do tend to think this isn't the best time to do it. It's not that you should never do it, but you know don't, we don't want any martyrs, right? Right, of like, right. the great things about atheism is, is no martyrs. So, you know, so don't do it in that situation. And it's generally speaking, it, it, sometimes it's impossible to avoid, and I'll get into that in a sec, but it's best to not come out during a crisis if you can avoid it. And so, in fact, it's one of the reasons why a council, if you can, come out sooner rather than later, because there are a lot of these stories of people saying there's this family crisis And religion was this big issue, and I felt like I was the wrong time for me to say I'm an atheist, but it was horrible that I had to keep that secret. You know, where I have this death in the family, this crisis, this accident, whatever, and people keep talking about religion, and I have to keep my mouth shut. And different people have responded to that differently. There are people who waited. They said I didn't have that conversation with my mom. I waited until a couple months later. Uh, And some people were like, I really had to tell them right then. But And that's a decision that people have to make for themselves, but it is kind of an argument for coming out sooner rather than later so that when the crisis comes up, you already have that conversation behind you. Uh, uh, And actually another argument for coming out sooner rather than later is sometimes people get outed. You know, it's it's, you tell one person and they blab it to everybody else uh, or people have accidentally outed themselves. This is one of the funniest stories in the book is it because it, it eventually turned out well uh, but this a woman her neighbor had asked her do you want to see religious the bill maher movie and she thought she forwarded this email to her husband with saying this is the last thing i want to do in the world is oh, see this no. movie with my neighbor who's oh, very no. religious but she accidentally <laughs> hit reply oh no! <laughs> <laughs> and and then she sent this email saying the last thing i want to do is see this movie and so of course she immediately had to, to send her another email saying i'm so sorry it's not that i didn't want to see a movie with you it wasn't about that it's just about and then she comes out she says it's i'm an atheist i know you're a believer i knew this was going to be a hard conversation and i was reluctant to have it and that story actually turned out well you know it was like the neighbor was fine with it. In fact, that was the reason she had invited her to the movie. Uh-huh. She's like, I kind of thought that was true, and I wanted to spark that conversation. But that kind of story comes up a lot in the book. You know, the person who, he, he comes out on Facebook, and he thinks, well, it's fine because my grandparents don't read Facebook, but he has an uncle who reads Facebook <laughs> who tells his grandparents. Oh, no. You know, that, that kind of thing, whether it's accidentally outing yourself or other people outing you, it happens a lot and so it is this thing where the it's better generally speaking to do it yourself to do it on your own terms you know you pick the time you know it's not sprung on you so it's again it's kind of an argument for if you can come out the, sooner rather than later it's not a bad idea
3: we have a lot of people who uh who email the show uh and uh and we get a lot of email from people who they just can't come out they are young either too young and they're still under their parents sort of, uh, you know, house and it's still under the roof. They still have to follow those rules or some people that are in, you know, very strict religions like Jehovah's witness, uh, their whole family will just disappear. They will never talk to their family again. We get, we get letters like this from, from I want to say Mormons and Jehovah witness seem to be the ones that send these emails Absolutely. a lot where they just say, I just, I just can't come out. If I come out, it's going to be a disaster like family wise.
0: Yeah, those are actually some of the most heartbreaking stories in the book are Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, I've just gotten this I don't want to use the word hatred because it's too strong a word, but just I'm furious about Jehovah's Witnesses because there's all these stories, you know, of people. Because that's the thing, it's Jehovah's Witnesses, if you leave the religion, you are completely cut off. It is required that if you have a friend or family member who's left the religion, you're required to never speak to them again. Gosh. You know, it's a cult.
1: I, I, as long as
0: I'm going to say that it's like a cult. It is a cult. Because that's what cults do, right? Yeah. They cut yeah. you off from the rest of society. It's very insular. You're not supposed to have contact with the outside world except as absolutely necessary. And if you leave... You're isolated. And it's a terrible thing to do. And it's this thing where people are always saying, oh, religion brings people together. Well, bullshit. Yeah. This doesn't bring people together. This cuts people out. Now, I will say that the Jehovah's Witnesses in the book, they are ultimately glad that they came out because it was too hard for them to live a lie. Yeah. It was just they couldn't. It was like the, the, the prospect of living the rest of their life keeping the secret and never getting to talk to people and always being afraid. Well, maybe I talk to people on the Internet, but maybe somebody will find out. That's a really hard way to live. But they had to be really careful. You know, there's one person uh, who wrote in the book, who wrote a story for the book uh, about leaving Jehovah's Witnesses. And basically he had to build a really careful life raft. You know, he got a job that was in another city so that, you know, so that he, you know, that was outside the Jehovah's Witness community. He actually got an apartment, you know, away from home, ready to go to so that when he was ready to come out, because he knew the minute he came out, he wasn't going to have a wife. He wasn't going to have children. He wasn't going to have friends. And so, and he thinks it was the right decision. He says, I would have just not survived that but you do have to be in that situation very very careful and it and it is hard and i'm not going to blame somebody if they decide that's that their family and their friends are more important than being open about their atheism you know that you get to decide that for yourself uh what i will say is that other people who have de- done this they do say that they think it was the right decision but it's a, but it's a hard decision
2: you know the stories in the book that struck me as particularly gut wrenching Were the stories where people had to, they come to atheism, um, just naturally throughout the course of their lifespan. And then they have to tell their spouse, you know, maybe they got, they got married, they were both religious, you know, one of the two parties moves away from, from religion and toward atheism and they, and they have to navigate that channel. And I can't imagine the horror of having to, to wonder like, you know, am I going to lose my spouse? Am I going to lose my relationship with my kids? You know, one of the, one of the stories was in, in the book um, relayed a pretty awful tale of people leveraging um, somebody's loss of faith in a custody situation. And it's just, it's just absolutely grueling to hear those stories. And you it, it, it relayed the Jehovah's Witness uh, tale. And like, all, all I can think is, like, when you said it's a cult, it's like, yeah, of course it's a cult, man. They control joy. Like, any, any yeah. situation that tries yeah. to control when you get to feel joy Um, is absolutely suspect. But talk a little bit about about navigating that, Um, because I think we think a lot of times about uh, coming out to our parents, coming out to kind of authority figures. Um, But there's also that navigation that has to happen for some people when they come out to a spouse.
0: Absolutely. There's, in fact, there's an entire chapter on it. Uh, I will get into that. Before I do, though, I want to plug somebody else's book. Uh, You know, Dale McGowan, the Raising Free Thinkers, Parenting Beyond Belief guy. I've heard of him. Yes. Yeah. Uh, So he's yeah he's written and edited uh, books about uh, parenting. You know, being a non-believing parent. He's about to come out with a book. I think it comes out in the fall. And it's about this exact question. It's called In Faith and in Doubt. And it's about relationships and marriages between believers and non-believers. And sometimes it's a situation where they both went into it knowing that they had different positions on this. And sometimes it's a situation, like you described, where they went into the marriage both being religious and I think maybe occasionally both being atheist and one becoming religious, but it's usually the other way around, both being religious and one person leaves religion. And and there's, like I say, in my book, in the coming out atheist book, there's a lot of, uh, there's an entire chapter on this. And it's, sometimes it works out well and sometimes it doesn't. You know, it's, it's, again, most of the time it works out well and even when it doesn't, it's like, okay, you know, it's, I can't stay in a marriage yeah. where I'm, not being honest about right. something that's really important to me. Uh, what Dale said is that what there's a lot of things that help. Uh, one thing that helps is emphasizing the things that you do still have in common. Emphasizing the values that you still share. Uh, you know, emphasizing if you have children, you know, the, the the concern you both have for your children, the friends you have, have in common, and so on. Uh, different people make different decisions about whether to keep going to church or other religious services. Some people feel comfortable with that. Some people don't, uh, and that's something you have to decide for yourself. But what Dale says is that in marriages, the thing that seems to predict whether or not a marriage or a relationship is going to have a hard time in the situation is how important your atheism or your religion is to you. That in marriages where, you know, one of them is an atheist, one of them is a believer, but they don't care about it that much, and there's other things that are really much more important to them, then it tends to work out. Or if it doesn't work out, some other problem happens. Where one partner, their atheism or their religion is really important, but the other one, it's not that big a deal, then other factors seem to make more of a difference. If your atheism is really important to you and your partner's belief is really important to them, that's where it can become very, very difficult. But again, it's not necessarily impossible. What seems to really help is... Again, focusing on the things that you do still have in common, focusing on the values that you share and sometimes emphasizing how important it was for you to be honest and how, look, I get that this is hard for you, but I love you and I'm not willing to lie to you. I'm not willing to keep an important secret to you. And that commitment to be to be truthful with you, that that's more important than, you know whether or not you know one of us believes in god or not so that kind of focus on the things that you still have in common can can really help
3: well you you collected like i said you collected a ton of stories what was your coming out like
0: you know, it's funny, my coming out was relatively easy. Uh, I got it lucky. And sometimes people ask, so why did you write this book? Well, I didn't write this book for myself. You know, I wrote this book because I saw a need for it in the community. Uh, my family are almost entirely non believers. Uh, I fell into New Age religion in college and had to go through a process of leaving <clears> it, but it wasn't an issue for my family. I live in San Francisco, <laughs> which is kind of famously not religious uh-huh. or, or not conventionally religious certainly and i did have some problem with some friends and it surprised me because it's like it's san francisco liberals san francisco who gives a shit uh, but kind of interestingly sometimes liberal believers have almost a harder time with atheism than more conventional ones because in liberal belief there's this big thing about we never criticize each other. Yeah. You know, there's this whole kind of ecumenical, right. Oh, we all are seeing a part of the same God and you see God this way. And I see God that way. And isn't it a beautiful tapestry of faith? And, <laughs> <atheists come laughs> and say, We think the tapestry is fiction. Um, and that's fine. You know, you can be wrong about that and you think I'm wrong and that's fine. But you know, we're not going to say we're, we're not going to lie about this. And I did have problems with, uh, religious friends. And particularly when I started becoming more critical of religion, you know, it's like, it was one thing when I was just an atheist, but once I started really criticizing religion, that became a problem for some people. That being said, it was really only a handful of people. And mostly it's not been an issue for me. I got very, very lucky with that.
3: All right. So I got one more question for you and you may not, you may not have anything to say about this, but you know, so you just finished a book. Clearly your mind is on this book. But do you have any? You have any plans? Something percolating? Something in the future that you're
0: going to be doing? Oh, absolutely! I have a half a dozen books I'm working on in my head already. Um, I'm not sure what's going to be next, so I'm not going to. This isn't a promise. Uh, <laughs> but I'm working on a collection of my nonfiction sex writing. I just, you know, last year I came out with my collection of sex fiction, i.e., porn. Uh, <laughs> this year, I think I'm going to do a collection of my. Essays and reviews and rantings and philosophical musings and advice and stuff about sex. Uh, So I'm working on that. I'm working on a children's book. I don't know if it's going to come to fruition, but I'm working on a children's book that's kind of about cognitive biases and how the mind works. It's about mistakes and sort of using that as the entry to you know epistemology for kids it's you know although i'm probably not going to call it that no that's what uh, we
2: should definitely call it <laughs> yeah, that's, that's you know, gonna it'll, it'll <laughs> go, fly off the shelves Greta. it'll fly
3: uh, off uh, the I, shelves. i'm
0: hoping this is more in the distance but uh i'm hoping to do you know rebecca hensler she does the grief beyond belief uh,
3: uh i haven't heard of her no now. i haven't heard uh, of oh that.
0: boy you should get her on your show there's this uh grief beyond belief is a uh Support group for grieving non-believers. Oh no, kidding! Wow, it. that's and awesome. We she and I that. are. This is again very tentative, but we're hoping to do a book, uh, basically a guide to grieving for non-believers, and so that's in the works. Again, you know, tentatively. Yeah, I always, you know, it's like I'm writing a lot about secular meditation and about meditation without the supernatural was something i've been doing for about a year i'm hoping in a couple of few years to write a book about that so i always have something percolating i'm like you know it's yeah. like okay that book's done what's next <laughs>
3: So yeah, another thing in, the, in this book, I wanted to mention too. There's a great section at the end. I mean, uh, uh, just a ton of resources. This is a really a useful guide for somebody who's coming out. You just have this ton of resources. I just did want to point out one typo. You missed cognitive dissonance podcast
0: <laughs> in the back. I know.
3: You know, oh, it, no. maybe it'll come in on the second edition. I don't know, but it, it, clearly there's a typo. So definitely, no, yeah. that was
0: clearly a mistake. But it actually, it's like it's hard. I mean, I was putting together this resource guide. There's so many resources. Yeah resources now. There's yeah, there so are. many blogs, there's so many sure. podcasts, there's so much out there. But of course, I should absolutely not have admitted your <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I, this Bro, oh, that's that's awesome. that's know, I had a blackout. Just, <laughs> too
2: much wine while you were typing no, this out, Greta. What she that's really what has definitely. is a good editor. That's what she yeah. really has. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: I know, that's I blame it on my publisher. Right. It's like, cognitive dissonance, those guys no <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome
3: well Greta, we wanted to thank you so much for spending a, a little bit of time with us today We really enjoyed the book and uh, and and we look forward to all your future work thank you so much for joining us
0: Oh you're so welcome thank you so much for having me it was a delight So that
3: wraps up this bonus show, our very first bonus show, Tom. We're not going to do any email. We're going to try to stick the email to our regular shows. Um, so episode one fifty one will be releasing Monday as usual. But now we're doing two extra shows a month because we reached our goal of three hundred and fifty dollars on Patreon per episode. So we are uh, we are releasing these bonus shows. These bonus shows will be available on Patreon as uh, probably a day early and then they will also be available just for our regular listening audience. We're we're trying to decide whether it's Thursday or Friday is going to be our release date. We're not sure what day that's going to be yet. So, uh, so, but we'll keep you posted on what that's going to be. Uh, so we want to thank again, Greta Christina for coming on the show. She's wonderful. She's very funny. Um, she wrote a great book. Called "Coming Out Atheist: How to Do It, How to Help Each Other, and Why." It's available on Amazon. It's available on Audible. It's available on iTunes. And uh, and it's it's a, it's a great book. Tom and I both read it. We thought it was wonderful. We think she's wonderful, and we think you should buy her book. If you if you have anybody that knows, if you know anybody that's uh, that's going through this, or you think somebody could benefit from this book, this like Tom said last week, this would make a great gift for them. Uh, it's one of those things that uh, it's just got so much different resource information for coming out uh as an atheist um it's just going to be a useful guide for them and for possibly for other people
2: yeah absolutely i mean she was such a delight to talk to we're grateful to have had her on this show so that wraps it up for this week we're going to leave you as always with the skeptics creed credulity is not a virtue it's fortune cookie cutter mommy issue hypno babylon bullshit